0: Welcome to Extreme Genes, brought to you by The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Welcome to America's Family History Show. It's Extreme Genes and ExtremeGenes.com. I am Fisher, your radio root sleuth on the program where we shake your family tree and watch the nuts fall out. I'm going to talk to a man who received a mysterious text from somebody who had found a video of his dad from 1952 and you're going to want to hear this whole story because it's crazy it was an actual stranger who sent this on to him and and it was just so much fun we're going to talk to Chris Harry in Gainesville Florida coming up in just a little bit and then later on in the show I'm going to talk to Brenda Johnson a project manager with our friends at Legacy Tree Genealogists, talking about some tricks for pulling out the most stories as you can through newspapers that have been digitized good stuff coming up in just a little bit all right let's check in with Boston right now. David Allen Lambert is standing by. He's the chief genealogist of the New England Historic Genealogical Society and AmericanAncestors.org. That is a mouthful, David.
1: It sure is. Hey, by the way, do you ever catch up with your sleep? The other day I was talking to you, I think you are up to the wee hours in the morning doing some newspaper research.
0: I got in trouble. I did. You know, I don't know about you, but I, I feel kind of like that Pavlovian dog, the Pavlov's <laughs> dog, right? You just keep pulling on this thing, waiting for the little food bit to fall out. So just before I went to bed, it was like 1030, Julie's hitting the hay, and I said, I'll be right in behind you. I thought, let's just take one look uh, and try to find a digitized newspaper article. And I found one, and I thought, oh, okay, well, good. There you go. I found something, and I can go to bed. And I go to log out, and just as the picture is disappearing, I caught a glance of what newspaper it was. And it was one of those, wait, what? Moments. And it turned out to be the Bergen, New Jersey record, the Bergen County record. This was my father's hometown newspaper, and I've been waiting for somebody to digitize that ever since digitization began. And I went through at 2.15 in the morning when my body said, you will not search anymore. I had found uh, (laughs) somewhere around 64 articles concerning my dad and my grandparents and my uncle and wedding accounts and all kinds of stuff and great aunts and great uncles. I mean, it was a kick. And I got in at 2.15. My wife's a light sleeper and she goes, what are you doing? Why are you up at this hour? You know, I was like, Oh, boy. So uh, I said, look, it was Christmas all over again, hon. Sorry. Good night. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then the next day I found 50 more. So ah. I, I just, it's like somebody handed me a family scrapbook. It's been amazing.
1: Well, it really is. Newspapers are amazing, and sometimes looking at things again for the second time around. So part of my New Year's resolution is here is to spend a little bit more time looking at ancestors that, well, I know they're published, but let me find all the primary sources. And for the guy that I had all the Revolutionary War documents for, I knew he served in the French and Indian War. Now I have more dates of service and places that he went than I ever had before because I reinvestigated an old ancestor.
2: Hey. what
1: well, I want to share with you something that a friend shared from Facebook. This is supposedly written in 1852 by a man by the name of Henry Hiddenwell. (laughs) So your ancestors leaving a resolution, and this is a genealogist finding it. I resolve to see that all of my children will now have the same name of ancestors that have been used for six generations in a row. (laughs) <laughs> I resolved to never list the same name, age, or birth year twice on any document. My age is no one's business but my own. <laughs> I resolved to have my children baptized in a different church either in a different faith or in a different parish, every third child will not be baptized at all or will be baptized by an itinerant minister who keeps no records. (laughs) I resolve to move to a new town, new county, or new state at least once every 10 years just to keep those pesky enumerators from coming around asking questions couple more here. These are really fun. I resolved to make every attempt to reside in counties where towns keep no vital records or courthouses <laughs> burn down every few years. And lastly, I will marry my beloved Mary, but should she die, I will make sure I marry another Mary.
0: Of course. Absolutely. (laughs) That's brilliant. That's really fun. I think Uh, we've all had ancestors who took those resolutions, you know?
1: Yes, I know. Well, Henry Hiddenwell, thank you for being hidden so well. Well, I know one of our featured topics has been Richard Overton, but sadly, as we have uh, just learned, that he has passed at the ripe old age of 112, the oldest American veteran from World War II.
0: Yeah, he used to actually have all the town in Texas come and join him on his birthdays in the last few years. So it's a real big loss in Texas. They're really honoring him there.
1: The town is looking to convert his home into a museum. So, nice thought. would be kind of nice, yeah. Well, sometimes you find stuff you're not expecting to find when you clean out a business or a house that you acquire. How about old newsreel films from the 1930s?
0: Crazy. That is a great story. Yeah, I, we've got it on ExtremeGenes.com.
1: The Chicago World Fair from 1933 and 1934. Footage of the dedication of Lincoln's tomb in Springfield, Illinois. Yeah.
0: Isn't that crazy? I, it, it, It's great. And it's 35 millimeters, so it's very difficult for him to get digitized because it's a commercial size. But Mm -hmm. uh, they've had TV stations helping him out, and I think they're doing some GoFundMe stuff to get all these because those aren't the only ones. It's quite a haul.
1: Well, I'll tell you, one of the things that I like to do is give a blogger spotlight. And the spotlight this week shines on Chris Patton, who has a blog at britishjeans.blogspot.com, and it's called The Jeans Blog. Check out Chris's blog. It's pretty up-to-date with all the things going on in the U.K. side of genealogy. Well, that's all I have this week. Catch you the next time around here in Beantown.
0: All right. Thanks so much, David. And coming up next, we're going to talk to a Gainesville man who got a mysterious message from a stranger that led to an amazing video of his father back in 1952. You're going to want to hear this His name is Chris Harry. He is the senior editor for FloridaGators.com down on my brother's neck of the woods in Gainesville, Florida. How are you, Chris? Welcome to Extreme Genes.
3: I'm doing well, Scott. How are
0: you? You know, I'm doing great. And I've had this kind of thing happen myself and, and also sent some things other people's way that is kind of similar to how this set up for you. But let's just talk about this little text that changed your life and how it came about.
3: Well, what happened was my brother lives out in California, and out of the blue one day, he got a uh, direct message via Facebook from somebody he did not know, and I think he had to take a double take wondering if he did know this person, but it was an attachment, and he opened it up, and it was a YouTube clip, and he clicked on it, and it was a black and white video from 1952 from a game show called Winner Take All. So okay. my brother was just looking at this thing, had a date on because February 28, nineteen fifty two. He had no idea why this thing was there, and lo and behold, a couple minutes into the thing, Bill Cullen. If you if you were a kid growing up in the sixties or seventies, you watched game shows yep. because you had no choice because there's only three or four stations on your television. That's it. And Bill Cullen was the guy who showed up on a lot of game shows. He was the original host, I believe, of the $10,000 Pyramid, even before Dick Clark. I know he's on The Price is Right.
0: But, to um, tell the truth. He did that to show, too. Yeah. Yeah.
3: Absolutely. Right there next to Kitty Carlisle, for yes. really, really old people, right? <laughs> anyway, so there's Bill Cullen, and he says, Don Pardo, uh, introduce our next guest. And there's the unmistakable voice of Don Pardo, steps up and says, let's bring out SK3, Ralph Harry. And SK-3 Ralph Ferry is my father. And wow. there, walking onto the camera in his sailor's uniform from that year, was my father, about 130 pounds. And, I mean, I, I can only imagine when my brother, my brother was probably thinking the same thing I was thinking when I saw it for the first time. But it's really hard to put into words, and yet it's something, obviously, I felt compelled to put into words. And I wrote a story about it and submitted it to the Washington Post, which ran it in their Inspired Life section several weeks later, which I'm sure is why we're talking right now. But the bottom line is with this is my brother sent it to me, and I said, where did this come from? And he sent back a message to this person, and we'll just call him Jeff, saying, where did you get this? And I'm sorry if I don't know you, but how do we know each other? And this person answers back that they did not know each other, and there was no reason to apologize. But he had a hobby of watching old game shows, seeing people on old game shows, and I'm talking 1952. I don't know yeah. where I don't know where the heck this guy finds this stuff on the internet. But his hobby is to watch old game shows in the middle of the night. He's an insomniac, he explained, and he would track down families of these people on these game shows and send them these videos out of the blue. And we were the recipient of it, and it's a 24 minute clip. My father wow. uh, won some bed sheets and two watches on this thing. And what's funny about this is that he was in New York on shore leaves, and some friend of his gave him tickets to a game show. But it wasn't this game show. It was another game show called The Big Payoff. Okay. And we knew, and we knew he'd been on The Big Payoff in 1952 because he won $7,000 on that. And there's a little clip of an article from the Winchester Stars, where Winchester, Virginia is where uh, he and my mother grew up. There's a little clip from how he won this $7,000 prize package, which included a trip to Europe. We knew about that, but as my mom would explain to us after she saw the video for the first time, oh, yeah, I guess he left that show, and the producers from this other show in Jason's studio saw him in his uniform say, hey, we want you to come in this one. He goes, well, I was just on this other one. They go, it's okay, it's a different network, and they shuffled <laughs> him right into this show, and yeah. lo and behold, that's where this video came. I would say it's something that, a, was unexpected, and B, is something that my brother and I will certainly cherish, And because it's moving talking pictures of my father before both of us were born, before, wow. before he married my mother, and it's just not something that you would ever expect to see. Put yourself in that position for somebody who would be my age in my late 50s, sure. and have this sort of a thing fall in your lap, a treasure, if you will, of a time in your parents' life where you you could not have seen them in this way. No, no question. And, you know,
0: i and I've right. had that kind of experience because ten years ago, I I discovered YouTube very early on. And found a, a video of my father playing in a big band, the Russ Morgan Orchestra in 1936, and I, I you know, Support. he was a he was a professional musician his whole life, but I had never seen him play, and so what a gift! And when I read your story, I'm thinking, oh man, here's a guy I got to talk to because, <laughs> what an amazing find! Now, what's interesting is this guy Jeff; he's kind of maintained his air of mystique, has he not? <laughs>
3: Putting it mildly, you know, so first of all, I I went to pitch this story, and I included in the story a couple of text exchanges he had with my brother via Facebook Messenger. But he wasn't this guy who was answering back in a timely fashion, he answered back whenever he did, and after this story ran on January 2nd. The Post tweeted it out. They have 13 million followers on their account. I tweeted it out. I got 19,000 in the job that I do. Wow! And we put it on Facebook. I have a lot of friends from home and a lot of my friends knew my parents, of course. And they saw this and the response both on Facebook and on Twitter. And and even if you go to the Washington Post website and find the story, it's approaching 100 comments at the bottom of that. And I think what's unusual (laughs) about it is People aren't used to people being overly nice on social media. And here's this guy who sits wherever he is. For all I know, he's in Sri Lanka. Right, who knows? (laughs) But I'll be honest, you're not the first one to reach out to me. I have scripts, the news service emailed me, CBS Evening News with Dave Hartman. This producer called me and wanted very much to do a story on this person. And my brother sent him a message and told him that these people really were interested. And his response was, I'm a private person. I do this for me. And thank you for everything. And it's a joy to do this for people. Yeah. And he doesn't do it for the credit. And the note he sent back to me, complimenting the story I wrote, was almost as touching and as heartwarming as the video I was able to see of my father. So, this whole experience obviously has been a blessing for me, for my sure. brother in California. And for my mom, uh, who's still alive in Virginia at 86 years old. So uh, to come with the holiday season is the confluence of it all. It's been extraordinary.
0: Well, it is amazing, first of all, what people can find now online to track down folks like that. I watched the clip and your father goes through this whole thing uh, with Bill Cullen about having two first names and then right. he, he asked the father's name and and asked his mother's name so you you know now you have the grandparents and that's that's, right. that's not that difficult to track down especially when you have websites like ancestry and family search and others for living people which is uh, familytreenow.com that's how it's done. It doesn't take that much effort to do it. And a lot of people are doing that. We see people doing it in helping folks, for instance, solve DNA problems. And they call them search angels. Right. And I, I think it's just because there's nothing that makes you feel better than than just really improving somebody's life with, with a find like that. I'm sure that just has pretty much hung with you now. What's it been about, six weeks? I mean, <laughs> it's yeah. not going to go away that glow anytime soon, is it?
3: No, and he, and he said that we were really easy to find. And I, I guess maybe he is the person who's skilled with those websites, of what you're talking about in terms that can track down families and what have you. But what's funny is that uh, in the days that followed the story coming out, something happened with the YouTube clip that was embedded in the Washington Post website's version of the story where people were clicking on it and it was saying video unavailable. And I guess my brother messengered back to Jeff and said, Is there something with the video? Because we hadn't heard from him since he'd sent him the story. We don't know. Maybe he was upset that I wrote this story. Uh, We we just hadn't heard. We just didn't know. He's a mysterious person. Sure. Uh, But a a wonderful part. But but at the same time, he shot back. He said that happens sometimes on YouTube where it'll say that. And lo and behold, another YouTube link pops in. He said, I I found it somewhere else. And the second version he sent (laughs) was in HD. Wow. So, I mean, so he goes, I'm not a very technical person, but I found this. You're not a very technical person, but you found these archive treasures for our family, and you didn't find it once. You found it twice.
0: Yeah, that, and, that's pretty <laughs> impressive. Well, you know, <laughs> yeah. there there is a tool out there, and I wish I could tell you what it was because I remember using it once some time back. But you can actually capture those videos off of YouTube or any other site that carries video, so you can burn your own DVD of it and have it, so you never lose it in case it does get taken down at some point.
3: How about that? Well, I I know I was searching around for it, Scott, and did some searches for the winner take all, and actually one popped up, and I started watching it. But Gary Morton was the host, and again, if you're if you've been around a while, you may remember Gary Gary Morton was the host of a lot
0: of. Was popular. it Morton or Gary Moore?
3: Gary Moore, you're right, Gary Moore. And he walks out this 97-year-old guy on I've Got a Secret. Oh, yeah. And he's saying, all right, this is so-and-so. Uh, uh, his name was something Seymour. And the guy's fallen down. He had a patch on his head. And, I mean, he's got a secret. Let's let the audience in on the secret. And they flash the secret on the screen. It said... I witnessed Abraham Lincoln being assassinated by John Wilkes. Yeah, yeah. That is out there on YouTube, believe it or not. Yes. A guy guy who was on an early game show, who was 97 years old, and I guess at the age of five,
0: he was at Our American Cousin. Yeah, and he he (laughs) died just a short time after, I mean, like within three weeks or a month or something after that show was shot. It was absolutely astonishing. Well, I'm so happy for you, Chris, and your family, and and it's a great piece of video, and we're going to link to it at ExtremeGenes.com so people can see what has uh, lit up your life in the last six weeks. Thanks for sharing your story with us, and uh, good luck in the future.
3: Thank you very much, Scott. I appreciate
0: it. And coming up next, we're going to talk digitized newspapers. If you haven't looked through those yet, we're going to give you some tricks for coaxing some of those stories out of those sites. Oh, I got to tell you, I started the new year on the right note. I went to go to bed. Uh, it's like January 3rd was a Thursday and it was 1030 and, and, and kind of like the Pavlov's dog. I wanted to see if I could find one last something before I went to bed. And I found a little article on newspapers.com, and then I thought, okay, well, I'll, I'll go find it again in the morning now that I know it's there. It wasn't anything of great significance, but I figured I'd, I'd capture it, and I would save it because I love newspaper stories for family history. And then as I was logging off, I got a glimpse of what the paper was this was found on, and I went, whoa, 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 wait a minute, What? It was the Bergen Record of Northern New Jersey. Now, this was my father's hometown newspaper, and I've been looking for that paper to be digitized for years. And so I went back to it, and I started searching it. And by 2.15 in the morning, the next morning, I had found 64 articles concerning my dad and his brother and my grandparents and great aunts and uncles. And, and finally, my body just says, shut down no more names, go to bed, at which point my wife was very upset with me because it, it, was, it was really late. And uh, the next day I found 50 more articles. So it was absolutely incredible. And that's why I figured we got to talk to Brenda Johnson today. She is a project manager with Legacy Tree Genealogists. And, uh, Brenda, you just did a blog on this whole subject, and it's fantastic. It's
2: one of my passions.
0: You think about all the stories that are in the digitized newspapers now, and it keeps growing. And, you know, when you think about it, there is a difference between genealogy and family history. Family history incorporates genealogy, which is basically, you know, putting your tree together and and making sure that it's all accurate and documenting it. But family history incorporates so much more, the photographs and the audio recordings and the home movies and the stories and so many of them come from newspapers and sometimes it's a little hard to coax those stories out of those sites and I thought we'd talk a little about that today about when you're not finding articles you know should be there
2: so with the newspapers you're used to going and looking for obituaries and most of that's been indexed by individuals looking for those obituaries and reading it and typing it in But if you go to the newspaper sites that are out there, most of the indexing that's done there is by character recognition rather than somebody typing it in. For example, I had an article on my great-great-aunt who passed away in Australia. And when you look at what the text errors are next to what it actually says in the article, I would say 75% of the words are not spelled right. So you have to just keep trying different words when you do the search to be able to pull out some of these stories, especially the older newspapers.
0: Yeah, and that's really true. I've found a few tricks that have really worked for me, and I bet you've done some of these, too. First of all, I've tried to narrow it to a certain time frame, certain year to year, and then I'll put in, for instance, in quotes, just a street address and maybe the name of the town. Right. On the outside of that, because hopefully if they were living at that address, it'll pull up stories about them where the name itself might be too common and bring up too many. Or maybe the name is not registering and it's bringing up too few or not bringing up some that it should bring up. So I put in the street address in the town. Sometimes I'll put in just a last name and an occupation or an interest, or something that might make the news, or I'll put in misspelled versions of the name, commonly misspelled. Of course, with Fisher, you'll often have a C in it, as opposed to not the C, which is, of course, the way God intended it. So... (laughs) So anyway, that's how I search. And it, it brings out a lot more things, but it takes a lot more time. And also, you'll put in, for instance, the the first name and the middle name initials instead of the full names. So my dad, William Hardy Fisher, would be W.H. Fisher and put it in that way. There's so many ways you could put in a name and, and get a result.
2: They were actually setting the type back then. So they wanted to take and make it as succinct as possible to try to, you know, just have the initials and not full names. For the women, it was always Mrs. So-and-so. I would say one of the main things that you want to consider when you're looking for things also, the address is a great idea, but you might also want to take and look for events that have happened in your family. So a death is a good example. We had a client where there was a fire in the history, so they knew that their relative had passed away from this fire. What they didn't know and was found in the article was that this woman actually died a hero. And that she stood between her children in this fire to protect them when paraffin wax exploded. So it had more details. The details they had on what happened wasn't what truly happened.
0: At what time period was this and where?
2: It was early 1900s in the U.S.
0: Yeah. uh, You know, these fire stories are incredible. And and often these things will just bring tears to your eyes as you read them as if it just happened yesterday. And you consider what people endured. and, And that's the beauty of the newspapers. You know, we talk so much about DNA now and properly so. However, newspapers to me is what really puts flesh on the bones as we figure out who our people are And I found so many stories. In fact, in this recent haul of over 110 articles, I found the reference to my dad's marriage to my half-sister's mom back in 1935. Even a birth announcement of my half-sister the following year, which was really exciting to me.
2: My best case came from my own great-grandmother who passed away from suicide back in 1912. And the newspaper article actually had her suicide note in it. So while nobody in the family through the years talked about it ever and everybody is gone by the time it comes to me, I had, in her words, what was going on. And so, you know, that just means the world to actually have that.
0: That is really interesting, yeah. Well, and I found stuff over in Great Britain. I've mentioned recently about an 1818 article where a church parish there was looking for my third great-grandfather because he had abandoned his family of five. And they were looking for him, and they were offering a reward because at that point, the church was now... Taking care of them, and it was obviously his responsibility. But he, he pretty much disappeared. We never saw him again. But it was fascinating to see that and understand why I saw his uh, wife remarrying sometime later. But never found his death record.
2: And it truly shows that he disappeared. Yeah. And. It's just that you couldn't find a death record, and she was a widow. Like, they actually know she just moved someplace else.
0: Yeah, you can understand a lot of the records you see. Well, you know, there are so many sites, and I don't know how many people consider that it's really a good thing to subscribe to many of them, as much as anything else that you subscribe to. There's newspapers.com. There's uh, genealogybank.com, newspaperarchives.com. Uh, with a real emphasis on New York, there's fultonhistory.com. And that one, by the way, is free.
2: Well, there are hundreds of free sites all around the world. And the best place to find that is Wikipedia. So if you do a search in Google and search Wikipedia list of online newspaper archives, it lists by country the hundreds of sites that are available and lets you know which are free and which are paid sites.
0: Yeah, and links to them also, which makes it really easy, doesn't it? It does. So, Brenda, when you find an article, what do you do with it?
2: So I will clip it out and for myself personally mm-hmm. and save it on my computer with the name of the newspaper, the page number, the column. So that, one, if you ever have access to the actual newspaper itself, you can go back and find it. Websites do tend to disappear through time, so just saving a link to where it was is not necessarily going to guarantee it's going to be there a year or five years from now.
0: Boy, you are absolutely right about that. Good advice and great conversation. Thank you so much, Brenda. She is Brenda Johnson. She's a project manager for Legacy Tree Genealogists. To me, newspapers are right there with DNA as among your most important tools in the toolkit for family history research. Appreciate it, Brenda, and we'll talk to you again sometime. Hey,
2: thank you.
0: And coming up next, I have started the new year with restoring some of my old photographs, which I'm sharing with you, by the way, on ExtremeGenes.com. We're going to talk about that process with Rick Voigt from VividPix. And uh, as we've mentioned throughout the course of the show, it's been a good start to the new year. Found a whole family scrapbook of digitized newspaper material in the first week of the year. And then, you know, we've had so many of our listeners sharing uh, pictures that they have fixed using the software Restore from our friends at VividPix just amazing restoration with one click of a button. And I thought, OK, wait a minute. Why don't I do some of mine? Because, you know, when you have a little time off, that's the perfect project. And I got to tell you, it just blew my mind. And you got to see these posts that I've put on ExtremeGenes.com. We got color pictures, some that are like 30 years old, some that are 130 years old, black and whites, even documents on there. And it's astounding stuff. We got Rick on the line right now from Vivid Picks. I don't know how you come up with an algorithm, but I mean i got to tell you, Rick, I really put it through the paces, and it did very well.
4: And it's fun looking at all these different images, because as you described, it's everything here, whether it be the photograph here of your wife and or very old photos of your and or her, her heredity. So you put
0: us through our paces, that's for sure. Yeah, there's no question. You know, It's funny. I was doing that picture. The first picture in there is my wife with a couple of really old great aunts that she had met in newtown indiana we were on one of our very first family history tours of the country and we were introduced to these people she got a picture taken with them she was in her early 20s at the time and the picture had really faded and the color was disappearing and all this and so i had the vivid pics version of it after we ran it through the restore paces and she was walking by the door to my office and she peeked in and said Wait a minute. Is that that picture with with the Yeah, come in and look I at love this. It. And she was so excited and absolutely blown away by it. You know, of course, lamenting the fact that a lot of time has passed since she looked like that. But <laughs> nonetheless, it was, it's just an amazing picture. And the color restoration is the thing that really kind of blows my mind. Because there's a second picture there where we toured through one of her ancestral homes. And that picture had faded away as well. And VividPix and Restore really brought this thing out. So, how do you do this? I mean, how does this algorithm function?
4: So what we do is, with essentially any scanned image, whether it be a photograph or a document, we analyze the image to understand what needs to be improved. And at one time, we adjust color, contrast, sharpness, and brightness. And then we provide this 9 up image so that people are able to choose which image that looks best to them. And with one click, they're able to have the before and after. And, and I love the photograph here of your wife and the one that you just mentioned, the one underneath that. The eight wall, which in the original is quite dark. And quite faded, really dark and faded. And, and all of a sudden, that wall is just is bright white. They're pretty pleased with that and you know as i look through all of these images the next one of the three gentlemen here it's fun because you've got a photograph an image of, of three people and then also text on the same image and that we were able to improve both the text as well as the image the photo of, of the men it's it's a very cool shot
0: and, and don't forget too we got a newspaper in there it's one of my ancestral newspapers and it had really faded and this actually restored that as well so that's really fun so you can get a sand of what it looks like for documents.
4: So back to answering your question, we analyze the image, whether it be a document or a a photograph. We understand what needs to be improved. The algorithm sorts through all that. And then with one click, the person gets the before and after image, and then they're able to tweak if they want. But knowing that we went through this together,
0: most of these were one-clicks. Well, I appreciate that, Rick. So we'll talk to you again soon. And coming up next, we're going to talk to Tom Perry, our preservation authority. This man is busting at the seams. And uh, and Tom, every year at this time, starts talking about CES, which was formerly known as the Consumer Electronics Show in uh, Las Vegas, Nevada. And Tom, you, you're pretty excited about some of the stuff that was in the show this year.
5: Yeah, CES was awesome this year. In fact, I know this segment is pretty much about preservation. Well, I'm going to give you a little bit of preservation for your mental health. As all of you that have iPhones know that Apple made an announcement that why your phone keeps going slower and slower and slower with the updates, It's because your battery is specially programmed to not ever just, like, die on you. So it goes down and down quicker than it should. However, there was a company there called iFixit.com, just the letter I, and then F-I-X-I-T.com. And they were showing off these kits that they have that are less than $50, and even if you're a beginner in do-it-yourself type technology, you can replace the battery in your iPhone really, really easy and, as I mentioned, really, really cheap, and it'll make your old iPhone just like brand new again. And so, like, if you've had somebody like an older brother or uncle or something upgrade and giving you their old iPhone and it's really running slow, you have to keep charging over and over again. All it is is a simple battery issue. Replace a battery, and it'll be just like brand new again, and it'll run with the new OSs, which is so totally awesome. Peace of mind, big time. My son's always driving me crazy because he always <laughs> gets my hand me down and they get slower and slower and slower.
0: Sure. Well, that makes a lot of sense. And, you know, this is good, too, because so many people do their research on their iPhones, and if they're not functioning properly, that that's a problem. So you've just tied it into preservation. There you go, Tom. What else was at <laughs> CES this year we should know about?
5: They have some new software coming out that are updates and things. Some of them are in preliminary stages, but they're having do-it-yourself type apps. It's going to be able to help you find your pictures on your phone where you have multiples. You're always saving and saving and saving. it will go in and find everyone that has the same code and say, hey, you have the same picture here five times. Let's get rid of four of them. Or, hey, you have the same file here four or five times, and they're exactly the same. Let's get rid of them. And we'll have some more information on those later on when we have more time. But they're really, really cool apps that should be out probably within the next month.
0: Wow. You know, every year it's just something new, something fantastic. And uh, always glad to catch up with CES with you, Tom. Thanks so much.
5: You bet. My pleasure.
0: Well, that wraps up. And talk about covering a lot of ground. A great story from an ordinary guy with an extraordinary find. Of course, that being Chris Harry from Gainesville, Florida. If you didn't catch it, listen to the podcast. You can find it on ExtremeGenes.com. Also on iTunes and iHeartRadio and Spreaker. It's it's all over the place. TuneIn Radio also has it. Also, thanks to Brenda Johnson for talking about newspaper research. Having just found a big haul myself from my father's side, you're going to want to listen to this and find out how to get more out of your newspaper sites by how you go about searching them. Hey, great to have you aboard. Thanks for joining us. Don't forget to sign up for our weekly genie newsletter at ExtremeGenes.com. Talk to you next week. And remember, as far as everyone knows, we're a nice, normal family. This has been Extreme Jeans. Share your family story by going to FamilySearch.org.